Welcome to No Cartridge Audio. My name is Trevor Strunk, Hagelbon on Twitter, and I'm here with Paul uh, Fender Splendor on Twitter. You may already follow him, uh, but if not, it's Fender underscore Splendor, uh, and you should. Paul, thanks for being here. Um, so give us an idea. Um, you're the first guest that I think knows more about the subject we're talking about um, than I do, and like not even, you know, I'm sure there have been other guests where it's been debatable. Um, but not even close at this point. Um, tell us what you're here to talk to us about. I'm here to talk to you a little bit about uh, VR, virtual reality. Um, I work uh, at a game studio that worked on traditional game and is now transitioning to uh, making virtual reality projects. So over the last, I guess, year or so, I've kind of taken this deep dive and learned quite a bit about uh, virtual reality. And I wouldn't say I'm like an authority on it or anything, but I think of a fair amount of kind of both operational knowledge of what's going on in, in kind of the VR world, which I know is kind of opaque for even fans of traditional video games, um, as well as kind of just, you know, following the industry and where it's going in my own spare time. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, part of that, for me anyway, is just, like, the... It's fascinating to see VR stuff be so accessible at this point, but also be so unbelievably expensive once you, like, realize that you can purchase it. Um so like buying an Oculus or buying, you know, even a, even a PlayStation uh, VR rig, like it's just so pricey. Um, so I think there's like, there's a lot of hypotheticals in my mind about what VR could be, but not any sort of experience of what it is practically. Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about VR, like lay out the sort of ground, ground rules or ground uh, terms for us. Yeah. So I'll try to give you kind of you and your listeners like a quick, survey of the VR industry as it's presently constituted. Um, yeah, it's perfect. So, yeah, VR is kind of, uh, there's a lot of different terms that get thrown around when talking about VR. Um, people might have heard of AR, which is augmented reality, or MR, which is mixed reality. And these terms kind of, kind of get more and more uh, useless as the day go on, days go by, <laughs> and they get um, appropriated more and more by marketers and brands using, like, wanting to kind of... Um, capitalize on the excitement surrounding these technologies to kind of push whatever crappy $70 plastic headset they're selling. Right. Um, but in a very general broad sense, um, as kind of a mixture of both uh, the kind of market marketing speak and the traditional kind of how they're traditionally understood. Um, there's virtual reality, which is, you know, what most of your listeners are probably familiar with, which is strap on a head mounted display or HMD and view a virtual world. Um, and have six degrees of freedom, the ability to look anywhere, and the, be able, uh, the uh, ability for your headset or HMD to kind of recognize where you're moving as well as where you're looking. Mm -hmm. um, and that's typically accompanied at least in kind of the more expensive rigs by, you know, motion controllers or some kind of way to recognize your hand movements or even your feet movements or individual finger movements and stuff like that. Um, so that's VR. And then AR um, is kind of, again, kind of a, a, a liquidy term, but... Um, in a general sense, it basically means any kind of virtual content that's overlaid on the real world. Um, and there were some early iPhone games that kind of experimented with that when I think the iPhone first came out. Um, but Google Glass was kind of another early enterprise in AR. Um, and then Pokemon Go, which is obviously everyone's familiar with. Um, yeah, I was which, say. Yeah. Um, and then there's mixed reality, which is probably the, the broadest and most useless term, um, <laughs> which basically I think describes... Uh, anything now that blends, merges the virtual and real worlds, the kind of 
the blending of virtual spaces with the use of physical objects. So the most basic example is, you know, you look at a, we use this headset that's not blocking the real world, but you're able to kind of see through it. And then you're able to kind of overlay um, things like, uh, uh, like lay out a blueprint on, in, in a virtual blueprint on like a real table or play Minecraft in your living room or something like, but in your actual living room, not to your, the spaces of your actual living room rather than just occupying that space in a virtual world. That's basically like the, the kind of uh, the, the landscape there. And you've got your headset manufacturers, HTC making the Vive, which is a room scale um, VR device, and then the Oculus Rift, which is also now uh, experimenting with kind of room scale um, uh, uh, experiences, but kind of started out as a kind of seated experience. And then you've got PSVR, obviously, and then a whole bunch of there's 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 literally dozens and dozens of, of headset manufacturers now with more and more coming out every day, and each of them are kind of a little bit different. But those are kind of like the big three. And then there's mobile VR, like um, this stuff's obviously moving pretty quickly, which is part of what makes it so difficult for traditional games media and people like yourself who aren't really invested in the hardware monetarily or emotionally to, to kind of keep track of all of these things. I mean, I personally wouldn't have a fucking clue about any of this stuff if I didn't work on it. So um, I'm very much in the same camp. Well, I mean, there's like, yeah, I mean, it's like it, part of it is because I remember, um, I remember when I was a kid, like VR, well, I remember the virtual boy, but like even beyond the virtual boy, like I remember VR being a thing like you could play at David Buster's or you could play if you like, you know, went to, I don't know, like Universal Studios or whatever, and they'd have like some VR thing and it would be, you know, you'd put on a headset and it would be like you were walking through some badly pixelated land or something like that. But there's always been this like, and you were saying it when we were talking before the show, like there's always been this like sense of it being like five years away or it being like 10 years away, like this is going to be the future. Um and it feels like I've been sold that so many times specifically with virtual reality that like, even as it sort of crystallizes into something serious, I find myself very skeptical uh, of it. Yeah. I think that skeptic, I, I think that, that skepticism is very healthy and I think we should, especially as uh, consumers and just like normal human beings, not <laughs> like uh, definitely temper our expectations anytime. Like, uh, uh, a dude walks out on stage at a video game conference and tells us that he's about to change everything for us, you know? Yeah, um, like, like they've never said that before, right? Yeah, so um, so I think that's definitely warranted. Um, I'm super, super skeptical of VR, um, which I think it really makes for an interesting work experience. Um, I, I'm, I'm highly skeptical that it will ever catch on, but of course, uh, pragmatically, I desperately, desperately want it to because it's my... My my game studios, you know, I work at a company called Camouflage, and it's our 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 biggest hope um, to kind of succeed um, in the near future as we kind of like shift away from making traditional games to kind of focus more on VR games. But like at the same time, uh, you can point to examples of uh, of things like VR where the idea was really cool, but the tech just wasn't there yet. There are ideas like that yeah. that have happened like throughout uh, the game industry, like. FMV games, for instance, like those were developed, like the concept for those like began like in the I think mid 70s with Sewer Shark, right? And the guy that developed that like was convinced that was going to be the next big thing, and it ended up sitting on the shelf for another 20 years because the tech wasn't there, only to get you know resurrected in the mid 90s, and then it still didn't catch on, right? And but then now you have kind of 
games like Her Story or whatever, right? So you could say maybe it is here or whatever, right? So there's examples like that throughout uh, the games industry just because you, with, with so many kind of wide-eyed, you know, weirdos kind of tinkering in the dark, you're bound to run into some people who are really, really excited about an idea that's just not ready for prime time. Um, and it's just a matter of, of the, the, the money people and, like, the, the dreamers, like, syncing up or whatever and, and making something happen. And, you know, it's entirely possible that it's five years away. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it is, but I'm also very skeptical of it. Well, and it sounds like, I mean, there's something there's something to be said about the tech not being there, and there's something to be said about, like, the audience needing to be there for it, too. Like, you think, I'm thinking about, like... Uh, uh, some of the early games like uh, Roberta Williams Mystery House or, or those weird, like, extremely early games um, that were so niche and are still really niche but have echoes in contemporary games. And you think, like, oh, you know, maybe an audience wasn't there for it or maybe the tech wasn't there for it or maybe it was some combination of both, which is why when I hear stuff like um, when you describe MR, it, it just makes me think, like, yeah, that sounds so amazing to be able to like interact with your living room in that way but it not only sounds incredibly ambitious i'm also not sure how big of an audience there would be for it and i guess the the question there is you know how much are you as a designer like worried about you know that audience being there once you actually get to the finish line well i think largely you know i i speaking for kind of my personal experience at working as a game designer in a VR studio and kind of industry writ large, I think there's a, a bit of um, a, a collective understanding that the first several years working on this stuff is more of a fact-finding mission and a way mm -hmm. of paying dues and laying the groundwork for future experiences um, than anything especially meaningful um, or... Uh, like a, a like we're not I don't think anyone is kidding themselves that what they're making is going to be something that people are going to look back on in 20 and 30 years and be like and 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 go back and play the way people play like Pac-Man you know sure um I I think that's why I think that's why in part the current development cycles for VR games are really really short like four months six months maybe like a year uh, mm. for a lot of VR projects um because the Partly because the tech is moving so fast, and if you spend, you know, two years working on a VR game, the day it come out comes out, it's going to be obsolete. Um, but also, just the, the the there's no one willing to to pay. There's no publishers willing to pay, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for a quote unquote AAA VR game um, <laughs> because a the audience isn't there, and b yeah, you're just not going to be delivering a kind of quote unquote AAA experience because of the tech being in its infancy. So. I mean, I don't, I don't worry too much about about not delivering like amazing life-altering experiences uh, with our kind of our, kind of our current projects. I kind of view them as experiments that'll probably get forgotten. I think largely and kind of look back as kind of mm, if I had to find a, a like maybe maybe the same as like some of the games that like came out of you know MIT like in the 50s and 60s and stuff like that. Like really, really primordial experiments with. Uh, technology that people didn't really understand yeah that's interesting um yeah and it, it really speaks to something that like a feeling that i've had about these games which is that they seem so i don't know not not trivial necessarily but like ephemeral um even like even like what you would call like a triple a title like the the sort of like vr experience in resident evil uh 7 or 
the Batman VR game. Like, they're just... The VR experience in Resident Evil 7 is an add-on, and the Batman game is, like, three hours long. <laughs> like, it all seems like either tools or ephemeral kind of experiences. So that, that I mean, your explanation there makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. Like, if you've played as many VR games as I have, I think we've kind of... We have a v- big VR room in our office where we have about, like, I don't know, 100 VR games downloaded, and people are kind of playing constantly to keep abreast of, like, what what's going on because there's like a new flavor of the week that comes out every week and sure for this about a year and a half i think the majority of the experiences that you see that are truly kind of first person immersive vr experiences uh are of either a variation on uh office simulators a variation mm-hmm. on escape the room experiences or a variation on like zombie shooting galleries um, so the, there's really a, a lot of people struggling with things like locomotion and how to do that right, like how to make a player feel like they're they're moving. Um, and so a lot of these experiences are just like they they put you in a, a single place, like Batman, for instance, like puts you in a single place and lets you kind of press a bunch of doodads that are surrounded you, surround uh, surrounding you, um, and then you press a button to kind of teleport to the next thing, and they're kind of just moving you along a soundstage almost. Um, like on mm. rollers, uh, so yeah, it's uh, there's a lot. The, the current crop of VR content leaves a lot to be desired, and I don't think I can. I think I could count the number of games that were like things I'd want to put in front of people who are skeptical about VR. Like, look how cool this is. I could, I could do two, three, maybe. If okay. I, you know, um, yeah. So. So it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of, um, cause obviously like, so you, your background is like, I, I'm just guessing, but your background's like code, right? Like knowing how to like code and design a video game in, in sort of like the, the guts of the game, right? You actually couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> I'm oh, cool. A... Okay, great. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a total, I'm like, if I come off sounding like smart or like tech dude, uh, focus, like. Uh, it's some pretty awesome like LARPing on my part, but no, dude, I'm yeah, you totally fooled me. <laughs> I'm like, uh, um, I, I I went to art school. I went to Savannah College of Art and Design to study like oh, sweet. interactive design and game development, and it was very very light on like the tech aspect. It was mostly focused on like theory and practice and experimenting with like form and content of game design, and it was very oh, not focused on code at all. And what I do in my current job is like I'm probably next to my boss who um is a full on Luddite. I'm probably the designer, if you want to call it me that, because I, I, I kind of gravitate between pro- uh, producing and designing. I'm probably the designer on my team that's like the least tech affluent. Um so I'm very, very like soft skills oriented uh dude in the office. So you kind of like, but that's actually even better because like in, or for, for my purposes, because uh, it seems like, you know, one of the things that that is so, I don't know, important with VR is like this, I don't know, this almost uh, phenomenological understanding of the body, right? Like understanding, it, it seems like so out of the realm of most designers of wheelhouses to be like, yeah, look, like you have to think about how it feels to move or how it like 
what what like sort of constitutes a, the feeling of embodiment or something like that. I mean, do you feel like you have a better handle on that than some of the the more sort of like code based designers or some of the more techie designers? I mean, yes and no. Like, what's interesting about because I may be, I may have spent a little bit more time than maybe some of my coworkers reading up on like some of the VR research that's been happening since like the you know 80s and 90s, but mm-hmm. uh, we're all kind of learning at the same time because it it with game with traditional game design you have kind of um an established set of pra- best practices um but there's no and they they can be helpful up to a point but a lot of the really cool stuff happens at like the razor's edge uh where people are kind of experimenting with form and content like indie developers right um yeah. kind of throw out the rule book or subvert it or do interesting things with it right you know there's theory which is you know there's there's kind of game design theory which is really really helpful in conventional game design um and especially if you want to be somebody who like a lot of indie developers that experiment with form and content and subvert traditional kind of game design best practices and stuff and do really interesting cool stuff that's really helpful in like the traditional game space um in the virtual reality development space i i feel like it's probably less helpful right now while the people are still learning best practices and getting their, their feet wet because there's so many rules that there's so many things like you simply can't do um, because they'll make someone sick. Um, so mm. you might have like a really cool idea about how to maneuver a particular space uh, automatically um, while they look around at things um, and kind of, you know, you might write this down on a piece of paper and be like, Oh, that'd be a really cool kind of journey to take the player on or whatever. But if you didn't know anything about virtual reality, then you would know that like looking around while people move one way uh, and they're, if, I'm sorry, let me restate that. If people move in a one direction and then they kind of look around at the same time while they're not in control of where, which way they're moving and they're kind of getting jerked around and it's, it'll make people nauseous because VR is just like your brain being manipulated. It's just going to make you nauseous. And so there's a lot of, um, what can we get away with uh, in terms of like locomotion and sensory stuff um, happening in VR? What can we get away with that won't make the player mm. sick? And that's probably like the biggest barrier because um, unlike a traditional video game where you might be wanting to try something risky out, um, but your your fear is, well, we don't want to make this too difficult or we don't want to make this too easy. It's kind of like a soft restriction. Um, the restriction of like, this will right. make the player throw up is kind of like, they rip off the headset. They never touch your game again because they view it as like a broken, broken, you know, product or whatever, right? So it's a little bit of a more difficult thing that that kind of everybody in my studio is kind of learning all at the same time. Interesting, yeah, because it's sort of like it feels in a way that like you would think from the outside that VR would be like this space of of imagination or this space of like total possibility, but the way you're describing it, it's like it's just as much defined by its limits. Yeah, yeah, it's very much defined by at, the, at this point by the limitations of the hardware. And the limitations are, are the, the kinds of limitations you encounter in VR that I've encountered in VR were not the ones that I was expecting to encounter. Mm. Um, I'll give a really basic example. In shooters, two of the biggest problems uh, with shooters in VR are that are problems that you'd never encounter uh, in a regular game. Um, you're guns, iron sights, 
um, especially on a really small gun, can appear extremely pixelated and imprecise, as if they're not solid object, um, oh, but a collection of pixels, especially if you're on like one of the lower resolution headsets. And so it can be really difficult to know what to line your sight up with, right? If that makes sense. Um, yeah, staring it, it yes, yeah, it's like it's like staring into a scope is really difficult. You can't hug a physical scope with your eyeball. You're trying to line your eye up to like this thing that you're clipping in and out of. Um, if you're holding like a two-handed gun, when I pick up like a, a a rifle in a regular shooter after I've been carrying a pistol around all day, I'm like, fuck yeah, I got a rifle now. But like in VR, I always want the pistol because with a rifle, there's two. There's only two points of articul. There's two points of articulation, mm-hmm. and it's very easy to like misalign them because your hands <laughs> don't stay right in front of each other because you're not holding re- like, like uh, an object thing. exactly right. So it's just it's very very um, kind of an unconventional problem that 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 you wouldn't think of until you're kind of in the space and uh, and wrestling with that. So it's like little oh, wow. weird like foundational stuff like that that kind of made on a almost throw out the rule book on, on creating conventional experiences. And I, and you're right. Like you would think that VR would be more of a creative space. And it is like there, there's people, you know, there's not just game developers working on in VR, right? There's kind of, there's a bunch of different camps. There's like the, 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 the VR, the, the, the game design camp, which is what I'm in. And then there's like the film camp, um, and which, you know, virtual reality filmmakers are kind of, those are the people who are really loosey-goosey and kind of experimenting with form and content, too. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's a lot of, like... Like filmmakers uh, do. Yeah, exactly, right? They, yeah, and they've, sure. they've kind of, like, weathered a bunch of uh, technological changes throughout the ages that maybe video game developers haven't, because um, they're, you know, their film's just been around for so much longer. Well, they've had to deal with nausea, even. Like, you know, that's, like... Yeah. It's not even something that's new for them to think about, like, well, will our audiences be able to physically handle this? Yeah, they've had to wrestle very specifically with the problem of, wow, our audience is frightened that a train's coming at them. Right, um, exactly. They might run out of the theater, right? So it's a very <laughs> it's very similar to what I'm talking about, right? But it's kind of a, it's a little bit of an, I, I don't know if I can think of, of a game corollary. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thinking again, I don't know how good this I don't know how good this corollary is cuz I haven't played it, but like um, you know, I've played the the traditional Resident Evil 7. Um, but when people talk about the VR, they talk about it almost like it's a um almost like it's too too much of an of a of a stimulation. Like it's too scary or too intense or something like that where like it's they they like it or they're really interested in it or they sort of like think it's an amazing experience but at the same point it's like well that was too much like it was too scary on some level um so it's almost like a torture test as opposed to like an aesthetic experience yeah and and there's definitely an audience of um you know there's this whole kind of genre of like scare the shit out of me games on steam like uh five nights at freddy's and stuff like that where it's just like people live to be you know, have the piss scared out of them by these kind of jump scare games and stuff like that. And I don't know if those same people who kind of live to be scared would necessarily enjoy those same experiences in, in VR because you, you know, you are a participant in that experience. Um, right. I, I'm, I'm not like the biggest, I, I kind of had a similar experience playing Resident Evil 
Um, but I'm not big, uh, or playing Resident Evil in VR specifically, but I'm not a big scary uh, movies or scary experiences kind of guy. But even in things that aren't scary, like um, Raw Data, uh, which is a really kind of popular game for the HCC vibe, um, you, uh, it, it's really nothing uh, more complicated than you standing in a room and spinning around as robots come at you right but the feeling of something coming up behind you is not something that you deal with in in video games in the conventional sense like just having something come up i had to like rip off my headset when that happened the first time because i was like dude fuck this man like i don't want to feel that way it's not it's um it's not pleasurable at all being a participant um uh you know, in, in those kinds of experiences rather than a passive observer is, is really unsettling for a lot of people. Well, you know, it's fascinating because like, it, it makes me think of, uh, it makes me think of the problem of the, of the uncanny Valley, just like in a different register. Right. So like, I, I'm sure you know it, but like for, for people <coughs> who don't like the, the uncanny Valley is like this, this problem in, uh, in, uh, basically like computer animation where, um, or it's become this problem in computer animation, wherein if you make something look too human-like, um, there's like a, a point at which it becomes uncanny or, or too much like a, another person, but still not quite, that it makes people upset or makes people frustrated or scared as opposed to like interested or, or impressed. Um, and it's just like, it's it's interesting to think about that in terms of experience as opposed to like perception. Because it's not like the VR games look tangibly better than say like a a, a next gen system or like a, a super good video card might give you um it, it's it's literally that they give you this different experience and like that's too real like it it kicks into your lizard brain and you're just like i don't want to be pursued i don't want to be chased um i mean that's like that's a very that's a very unintended or unexpected uh limit yeah i don't think we know again, just because this whole thing is in its infancy too much about how, what the kind of short-term and long-term effects of being subjected to these kinds of experiences really is like, um, mm. and you're right. Like the, the, the games don't look that much better. If anything, they look worse because, um, these headsets, you know, they have to render, um, uh, their, their graphics at, you know, 180 or 120 frames per second because they're displaying it to two different eyes instead of, you know, a pair of eyeballs staring at a screen, right? Wow. So yeah. uh, so there's a significant, like, degradation or whatever. Um, but, um, yeah, like, there's a lot of unintended consequences to being in these spaces for prolonged periods, and it's something that I, I really don't think too many game developers are really, really care about. Um, there's hmm. It kind of relates to kind of, I guess, the ethical, the ethics of being in VR and and what's kind of an acceptable uh, acceptable range of experiences to deliver a player and still kind of feel good about what you're doing um, and <laughs> right. not not feel like a full on, um, you know, when people when people would talk about when uh, mobile games that had in app purchases were getting really popular, a lot of conventional game developers got really uncomfortable with, um, you know. Pl- uh, this this new trend in the games industry and i was like that's not what i do i don't make you know gambling simulators i don't make these like skinner boxes like what i do is make satisfying fun experiences right which you know it's 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 maybe not a binary it's probably more of like a spectrum but 
Um, there's nothing, there's no similar um, hand wringing going on in VR right now, really. It's more just like, what can we do? Um, there's mm-hmm. no really accepted standard of, of, of best ethical practices or anything like that. Um, and there's like unintended physical consequences too. Like, um, you know, if you take, if you like look down at, at, from the top of like a tall building in VR, like you'll get that feeling of butterflies. But it's the same feeling you get if you stood at the top of a tall building in real life, at least for me. Wow. Um, and if you spend a lot of time uh, running around or looking at objects in a certain way in VR and then take off your headset, it can sometimes feel like, you know, when you get off a treadmill and you still feel like you're running? Yeah. It can kind of feel a little bit like that. So there's all kinds of like weird unintended consequences that I think once headsets are more broadly adopted, you're going to read more scary kind of like you know, articles on Gizmodo about, you know, this is what happened when, like, uh, some, you know, 80-year-old woman played this game for six hours and then killed her dog or something like that. You're going to see weird weird stuff like that happen. Yeah, you know, I wonder if it's going to be... I wonder if there's going to be, like, a a set of best practices because of practical reasons. Like, you know, necessarily you have to have, like, a series of expectations for your audience that, you know are they'll they'll still buy into like you know acceptable risk or i wonder if it's just going to be like i wonder if anyone's going to in the games industry kind of push it far enough that everyone else is like okay we can't do it anymore because immediately i'm thinking like you know when when is it going to happen that someone just like makes like literally like a torture simulator uh in vr like it's not it's not to me it doesn't seem like um and i'm not scandalized by that but i'm also i don't i don't think it's like unlikely right like considering all the games that have been produced um and like i wonder if that's ever going if there's ever going to be a moment where it's like we shouldn't let people have this experience when it feels so real i mean without getting too glib i can tell you like i've, I've had that conversation with like executives and stuff like and and, and co-workers and stuff um, working on you know projects in the past like um there, there, it will absolutely happen, and you know mm-hmm. it'll it'll happen in the shittiest way possible, Trevor. This is how it's going to happen. Let me let me drop some knowledge on you. Oh, I'm remember, excited. Remember when uh, there was that kind of period from maybe like 2012 to maybe like 2015, where a bunch of games came out that were, and maybe even longer than that, longer period than that. But that's just kind of the the range I remember it as being. But there were all these games that were kind of actively wrestling with ludonarrative dissonance and wrestling with the like you know what is it to be in a game and be killing these yeah. hundreds of people and then they would like finally acknowledge it and like they're like oh but we're, we're we're acknowledging it the humanity of it but like isn't it so twisted that you know you, we're making you do this and it's like yeah like you've acknowledged it but like you've really just acknowledged it as a means to an end like you're not you're not actually like doing anything like creative or interesting with it you're just like using it to kind of explain away this like rote game mechanic that you have no choice but to implement in your game, right? Right, yeah, no, I totally, yeah, absolutely. So, like, that's exactly, like, somebody's gonna put, make, you know, uh, the 24 Kiefer Sutherland, you know, (laughs) uh, extraordinary rendition simulator, and, and, you know, whatever company that publishes it is gonna, on the press release, is gonna say, like, this is, you know, a searing portrait of, you know, humanity and, and, 
and the human condition and what it means to be, you know, relating to another person and like, how, how, how can you stare someone in the eye? And really it's just like all this kind of flowery prose to kind of like, like basically explain away the fact that they, they wanted to make a torture simulator or whatever. And like, that was like the fun, cool, weird sandboxy thing that they did. Like that's, that's, oh, that's, yeah. that's going to be the, the industry spin. And it's so much worse than, you know, because what I was thinking you were going to say was like, it would come out like, uh, like that game hatred did a while back where like, just some like weird, you know, dissonant developer did something. Uh, but yours is much more plausible and much much worse. <laughs> oh, there'll be that too. There'll be some kook who grabs a headset and develops like hatred for VR too. Absolutely. But yeah, but sure. yeah, the, 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 I you can never rely on on people who spend all day playing video games to teach you anything about the human condition because they don't really <laughs> spend a lot of time experiencing the human condition yeah yeah sure yeah that's uh yeah it's sort of like uh you know what, what you'd hope the critic would do in a certain way but then again critics don't spend a lot of time with people either so maybe we're just sort of up a creek um so you were telling me beforehand and i want to get to this because i'm really interested uh and i don't want to i don't want to run out of time because i know you're you're busy um you were mentioning that some of your colleagues went to China to sort of see like where they were at with VR and that it was sort of like different than where we're at. So do you have anything to, can you sort of tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. To kind of dovetail back to, to kind of what we were talking about earlier about, you know, is VR going to catch on here in five years? Will it be as ubiquitous as smartphones are now? Um, I think even if it's not uh, here in America, um, I think if it does have a, a snowball's chance of becoming successful anywhere, I think it will become successful in China. And in many ways, it, it kind of already is. And, you know, it, it it's China's like a Chinese culture, especially like tech culture and stuff is kind of a black box for a lot of us in the West. And so is VR, right? So it's kind of this like weird, spooky um, uh, uh, specter like in the, in, the, uh, in the East that like, you know, uh, is hard for people to to kind of wrap their heads around, but a handful of my coworkers um, went to uh, China recently to kind of see what was going on with the VR industry there. And it's there's dozens and dozens of headsets that are being developed and coming out every day from like you know dozens of different manufacturers. There are VR cafes everywhere. There are VR arcades everywhere. Like hundreds. There's a I think a, um, what's being built. And I, it's hard to kind of get past the hype in some of these kind of articles you see on Bloomberg or whatever. But apparently there's right. some sort of VR city that's being built in China <laughs> where the hospitals incorporate VR and the restaurants incorporate VR and the hotels incorporate VR. Um, and it just sounds like this kind of like Bioshock of VR. Yeah, kind I was going to say like, like Minority Report or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think what you, you might see even if VR doesn't catch catch on in the United States is these companies in China are, are willing to invest and are already investing like hundred, hundreds of millions and billions of dollars um, into kind of, uh, uh, you know, future proofing uh, VR for, for kind of the next five or 10 years and trying to make it catch on in, in, in China. And it's already working, you know, people don't really have, there's not a culture of, of home computing or, or in-home console purchasing in China, um, and so for there, so there's already a rich culture of um, you know people going to internet cafes, and so now the VR stuff has become an extension of that. Um, mm. And um, 
and and the VR arcade stuff that are that are in malls and in entertainment centers are now you know becoming a part of everyday life there. Um, and so I think what you might see is kind of this like weird inversion or, uh, of what you saw in the 80s, where it was like you know predominantly Japanese game developers making video games for American teenagers. Um, you're going to see American game developers who are struggling to make it make make ends meet for you know but by reaching a, a, a Western audience you know trying trying to get their feet wet with um, you know making uh, game experiences for people in China. I think that's mm. if if VR has a future, that's that's the most future proof. I think it's probably something like that. Huh, that's fascinating. I yeah, I guess it's it's really interesting to hear. You know, there's just like I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. Um, so Edward Said has this. I don't know if you've read it or not. It's kind of ubiquitous, so so maybe you've come across it. But like Edward Said has this um, theory of Orientalism, where like the idea is that the East is like this inscrutable other um, that we can never understand, and that's sort of how the West under like composes them, and that's useful for Western imperialism, colonialism, whatever you want. Um, that's glib, but <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's interesting because like when you talk about VR that way or when you talk about like the the way it catches on there you can sort of feel those like tendrils of of um uh orientalism in the back of your mind where you're like oh yeah like those those sort of like strange not you personally but like me or like anyone who's thinking about it like you think like oh the 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 strange like the strange chinese they they would love a a virtual city or they would love a virtual town or something like you know virtual cafes of course like it's so like it's so internalized it's so strange it's so like imaginative um and it's kind of amazing that like i mean obviously on some level that's like racist or whatever um or imperialist however you want to understand it um and it's bad but on the other hand it's like there is this sort of like different sense or different understanding of what technology's relationship is to the body in the east um that is that may like the way you're saying it like i could see why it would have like a moment of like it could create a flashpoint for for VR. Yeah, I can't speak too much to that just because I'm not I'm less familiar with the uh, the 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 kind of the writing that you're talking about. But I will say that, yeah, it, that okay. it is absolutely like a um, it's it, that kind of colonialization of um, media and entertainment from the west to the east um, is already happening in. Um, it's kind of an extension of globalization that's already happening in in the movie industry uh, because you know what le- uh, movie audiences are less and less reliable here in the West. No, people mm-hmm. don't buy movies; they pirate them. They don't go to the movie theaters, um, and so the movie uh, industry moguls and people that are you know doing things the right way, I guess you know that being the way to make the most money, um, sure. are are rejiggering their strategies to kind of t- tell universal stories, universal, universally appealing narratives that they can then sell to audiences in, in, in places like China and India where movies mm. are still very popular and there's an emerging middle class that's ready to spend money to go to the movie theater. Um, and, uh, and so that's why you have this preponderance of superhero movies that are so popular. Oh. Um, because those there's this built-in audience in China and India, 
And it's the same thing that's happening in the games industry, right? Nobody buys video games, or at least not like they used to. The industry is not as lucrative as it, as it used to be. Um, and the, uh, I mean, I guess it is, but only for a handful of companies now that have now consolidated power, right, and put the rest of us out of work or, or made us, sure. you know, indie developers hoping for hoping to get our game screenlit on Steam or whatever. Um, so, uh, you know, we're thinking about, uh, again, I guess we being <laughs> um, nefarious game industry executives and, and, and <laughs> people kind of principally concerned with, like, honestly, like where how, how they're going to continue making video games are now turning their attention to these emerging middle classes on the other side of the world and trying to, to figure out, like, how can we deliver experiences that these people will buy? Um, mm. So it's a very kind of it's a it's a situation that's kind of running in parallel to the to the movie industry, but maybe it's like behind by like a decade. Yeah, and I you know you you were very um, humble about being able to respond to it, but you know I think Saeed uh, might find that very interesting. And so far as like the a lot of the appeal to othering a a whole nation or a whole you know hemisphere of people is this fear that you know is is a is a defense mechanism against like um sympathizing or against seeing them as as like you and the idea that like just as the middle class is falling apart in america it's rising in china and india is like a totally i mean it's a it's a rich moment for like that sort of imaginary where you're just like oh there's like there's a new world across the sea or something like that um whereas what you're actually seeing is like a moment where you see what you know, you can sort of see like the seeds of what the industry was in what's going on now in just like in another country. Yeah. It's, 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 it's less of like an exciting kind of brave new world on the other side. It's more of just like the dealing with a mass exodus, you know, dealing with the, <laughs> dealing with the collapse of, of uh, maybe not the collapse, but like the slow burn of an industry um, mm. that, that has consolidated a, a ton of, of, of money power uh, in the games industry. And, and you see a part of what's so, I guess, to bring it back to, to, to VR and to game development, like part of what's yeah. so um, appealing about VR for game developers like me is who are, you know, you know, my company, Camouflage, we were founded in 2012, uh, and we did a we had a really successful Kickstarter uh, for a game called Republic, um, and it uh, we raised like half a million dollars and wow. made this um, and then spent the next few years making this game that we thought would you know be kind of part of the uh, vanguard of new premium mobile titles because we saw you know smartphones were getting to be ubiquitous and and we thought like hey now there's like a whole generation of hundreds of millions of gamers who are craving game real game meaty triple a style game experiences on their smartphones and it, the truth was that that wasn't really the case except for maybe a, a handful of, of games like infinity blade or, or whatever um and that so that experiment you know for 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 most of the industry that tried it largely failed and so now hmm. where we're like tons of developers are are trying to figure out well what can my you know, 10 to 30 or maybe 50 person studio, like what can we do? We can't compete with, you know, Activision or Treyarch or whoever. Um, but we also can't 
make Stardew Valley. You know, we can't be these one-man operations where we spend two years on a game and it, and it sells a million copies and then that pays the bills because it can't pay the bills for us. So yeah, the, right. the appeal of VR is that the short development cycles, the willingness of venture capitalists to trip over their dicks to sign these projects <laughs> to fund the next generation of VR content means that, you know, it's a really uh, appealing um, value proposition for, you know, what used to be considered double A studios to go out and spend six months or a year or whatever, um, you know, putting food on the table to, to, to make these games for an audience that is, you know, doesn't exist in the United States yet and may, you know, exist potentially on the other side of the world. So it's really, you know, mm. people stand on, on, you know, executives stand on stages at Davos or TED or whatever and talk about how exciting VR is. But for a lot of game developers, at least, you know, if you're as glib as me, like it's not, it's not exciting. It's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a reactionary position that we're being placed in. Um, mm. And so it can be, it's a, it's a little, um, scary if you think about it. I'm, a, I'm in a position where um, I, I'm skeptical about the future of VR. I'm excited about the future of VR, but my livelihood also depends on the future of VR. So it's a very weird position to be in. Yeah, very, very uh, at once, like the excitement of speculation and the fear of precarity. You're kind of like at that, at that terrible like uh joining of those two branches mm, mm, love that late stage capitalism bro Ooh, ooh, it's so sweet <laughs> um well that's uh that's like a perfect place to to i think wrap up because that's basically the thesis of this entire podcast so far um but uh <laughs> was there anything that uh you wanted to get to paul that we didn't that we didn't touch on uh no man i i really appreciate you having me on it's um i don't get to talk about like, you know, nerd out on this stuff nearly as much as I'd oh. like to with, with like-minded yeah. folks. So I really appreciate it, man. Absolutely. No, it was really fun. And, and anytime you want to come on, um, is there anything you want to plug? Obviously, uh, now I want to go play Republic, but, uh, <laughs> um, uh, anything, anything you'd like to plug that, uh, that you got going on? Yeah, I, I'll absolutely plug, plug Republic, which is, uh, an episodic stealth action game, um, that is available, uh, on, every platform under the sun you can find it on ios on android on ps4 on steam pc mac um if you like stealth action games if you like folks like david Hayter, jennifer hale um kari payton and you want to see it play a cool like narrative game that kind of get lost in for a few hours um i highly recommend it um i'm not ready to talk about what we're working on in vr just yet but um sure Maybe in a, a year or something like that, um, I will be, and I can come on and talk about it a little bit more. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, just keep your eye on, uh, you know, if you're interested in VR, keep your eye on camouflage. Um, you know, I trust I trust Paul's aesthetic, so I would I would definitely be be excited about what he produces. Um, not that you're the only person producing it, but you know, you can you can be the metonym, you can be the uh, metonymic figure for the for the company for the audience here at least. All right, sounds good to me, man. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thanks for coming on, and and thanks, everyone, for listening, uh, and we'll see you next time.